Now our sermon text this evening is in the book of Romans, chapter 8. And I want to remind you as we've been working through chapter 8 that the theme of this chapter is stated in verse 1 of chapter 8. Remember it says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, those who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This verse gives a precious promise to a particular people. The promise is that there is no condemnation. That is to say, there is no wrath of God. And the particular people are those who are in Christ Jesus and who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now observe that those who are in Christ Jesus and those who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, are the same people. Everyone who is in Christ is also one who walks according to the Spirit. And it is those and those only who will not be condemned. Now the rest of chapter 8, verses 1 through 25, we find several assurances or comforts. God showing us how through the person of God the Holy Spirit, he is going to bring to pass that great promise. There's no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus, who walk according to the Spirit. And then the Lord begins to explain why that is so. There is no condemnation because the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made you free from the law of sin and death. That's in chapter 8, verse 2. There is no condemnation because the spirit of God, who is also called the spirit of Christ, dwells in you. That's verse 9. There is no condemnation for you because God who raised Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through the Holy Spirit. Verse 11. There is no condemnation for you because you are led by the Spirit of God. That's verse 14. There is no condemnation for you, Christian, because you have received the spirit of adoption, by whom you cry, Abba, Father. For the Spirit himself bears witness in your spirit that you are a child of God. And remember that if you're God's child, then you are God's heir, and you are joint heirs with Christ. And your inheritance is not condemnation, but rather glory. And then the apostle in verses 18 through 25 mentioned the momentary suffering, right? Our present afflictions. But remember what he said. They are nothing compared to our future glory. Your present sufferings then are not to be a discouragement, but you are supposed to in hope persevere, looking forward to your future glory. That brings us then to verses 26 and 27 where we are this evening. Which say, likewise, so in addition to all those other things the Spirit does for you, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, he who searches the hearts knows the mind, what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according.
according to the will of God. So in these verses, we find further assurance that we will not be condemned. Namely this, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. If we were left without help, our weakness may indeed bring about our condemnation. Or at least it would bring us to fear condemnation. But God is saying, my spirit helps you in your weakness. Therefore, you will not be condemned. We will examine these words of comfort under three points this evening. Number one, our weakness. Number two, the spirit's assistance or help. And number three, our confidence. Look with me first at our weakness. The apostle says in verse 26, the spirit also helps us in our weakness. Did you notice here that the apostle included himself among those who are weak? The spirit helps in our weakness. I hope that you can take some encouragement from the fact that such a mighty saint as the Apostle Paul acknowledged his weakness under the weight of the sufferings of this present age. That should be encouraging to you. Someone whom we look up to acknowledges that he indeed is also weak. On the other hand, if such a mighty saint as the Apostle Paul could perceive and acknowledge his weakness... While lowly saints such as you and I, if we do not sense or admit our weakness, then we wonder whether it is a case of blindness or arrogance. For if Paul, being a much more eminent saint than any of us, acknowledged his weakness, it is much more incumbent upon us to acknowledge our weaknesses. Humility which is simply an honest estimation of ourselves, demands that we acknowledge our weakness. Not because there is any virtue in weakness itself, mind you, but rather because we truly are weak in ourselves. The Lord Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. And you must not allow even one syllable of an argument to rise up in your soul against the Lord Jesus on that point. He says, without him you cannot do anything and do not let yourself convince yourself that you can do something without him. Now there are many ways in which we are weak. But the passage here speaks of a specific weakness that we have. It says we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. If in praying or even thinking of prayer, you perceive weakness, then I think you are doing well. Prayer itself is an acknowledgement of weakness, isn't it? Prayer is a confession of our dependence. If you had what you needed, there would be no need to ask. But because you do have needs, you ask God. And that very act of prayer is a type of confession that you have a dependence upon God. On the other hand, when we do not pray, we are making a silent confession, aren't we? And what are we saying by that lack of prayer? Well, either that we don't depend upon God or that God himself is not dependable. Of course, neither of those things is true. 
We do depend upon God. Jesus said without him we can do nothing. And God is dependable. Therefore we pray. And yet, even when we do pray, because we know we ought to, we have this difficulty. We feel helpless. And we don't know what we should pray for as we ought. Now how can we say we don't know what we should pray for as we ought. Don't we have the Lord's Prayer? Don't we have examples of prayers in Scripture that teach us how to pray? Don't we have the Psalms filled with prayers of God's people? Don't we have examples of the Lord Jesus Christ himself praying? Yes, we have all of these things. And so we have a general idea of what we need to pray for. But we don't always know the particulars, the specifics. For example, we know that we should pray for God's glory. We should pray that God will be glorified. But we may not know in a given instance which thing will bring the most glory to God. Think of it this way. If you, you are contemplating another job or, or moving to a different town or you are making some kind of decision, you may not know at that point which one of those will gl- most glorify God. Therefore, you know generally God ought to be glorified, but you don't know which particular course, which particular decision, or which particular thing to ask for that will bring the most glory to God. Likewise, we know that we should pray that God's will be done. But we don't always know God's will in every circumstances. We know the will of God generally, once again, Right? We know that God's will is our sanctification. But there are a lot of particulars in our lives for which there are no Bible verses. Right? There is no verse in the Bible that tells you which person to marry. Or which city to live in. Or which course of treatment to pursue for an illness, etc., etc. There are a lot of things about which we just simply are ignorant. We know... The evil that afflicts us, right? We know the bad, the things that we need deliverance from. And we know about the good that awaits us. But we don't know that if perhaps the evil that afflicts us might in fact be for the sake of the good that awaits us. Do you see how sometimes we know generally what it is we ought to be praying for? Specifically, we often do not know. In a sense, it's like we know our disease, we know we need help, but we don't know which particular medicine or what dosage of it we require. Now here again, observe that the Apostle Paul included himself among those who don't know. Paul did not always know what he should pray for as he ought to have. We see an example of this in 2 Corinthians 12. Remember, Paul had a thorn in the flesh. And three times he prayed to the Lord to take it away. And the Lord answered, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. You see, Paul didn't know. Paul did not know that it was the Lord's will that he suffer with that particular thorn, whatever it was, in order that God could display his power in his weakness. Undoubtedly, we have things like that. 
My point in all of this is that we just don't always know how to pray. Now here, we are only speaking of our weaknesses. That is to say, ignorance. Not necessarily sinful things. It's not sinful to not be omniscient. Right? There are things we don't know. And we are in- God does not intend for us to know them. That's not a sin. It is merely weakness. And we are all subject to it. But then prayer is even more complicated when we consider our sins. We often are guilty of doubt. We doubt God's promise or his goodness or his ability to answer us. Oftentimes, even in prayer, we are selfish. We ask, but we ask with wrong motives. Sometimes we focus too much on short-term things or the cares of this world or the needs of our flesh. And we could add to that all kinds of temptations that come in when we try to pray or, or the distractions which we experience while we are praying or our impatience in prayer or our slothfulness in prayer, just simply not doing it. You see, when it comes to prayer, we have to acknowledge there is weakness and then, of course, there is sin. Is there any hope for us? Well, please look with me at our second point, and that is the Spirit's assistance. Yes, there is help for us. The Spirit, says Paul, helps us in our weakness. This word that is translated helps means to carry a burden with someone, to take an end of something. It is as if one person is straining under the weight of something and another person comes along and helps them. It's used one other time in Scripture, in the New Testament rather, and that's in Luke 10.40. And that is where Martha, who was, remember she was distracted by much serving, and she says to the Lord, Lord, tell my sister to help me. And that word help there is the same word for help here. This is, this is instructive for us. I want you to think about what was Martha asking. Was she saying, Lord, tell Mary to go to work while I sit down? Now, by the way, you, you of course know that the point of that story is different, right? Jesus wanted Martha to sit and listen to his teaching, but, but her request for help is what we're after here. She wanted Mary to take part of the burden, right? She wanted her to take some of the load. She did not want to be relieved from the burden entirely. She wanted help with it. In the same way, I want you to understand that the Spirit who helps us in our weakness does not exclude us from our duty to pray. No, the Spirit himself takes upon himself a portion of that burden and helps us in it. He helps us in our weakness, but we ourselves must continue to pray. I want you to think about the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane when the Lord told them to sit and pray. And remember what he said to them. He said, the flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. Now, I could imagine if I were among the disciples that night, and if you, if you look at what happened shortly after that, they could have probably very legitimately said, Lord, we don't know what to pray for as we ought. Right? I'd have been praying, don't, don't let them get them, Lord. Right? Or they, they could have been praying all kinds of things, and they would have been wrong, perhaps. But that wouldn't have been a sufficient excuse. What did the Lord say? Pray perfectly? No, he said pray. And the Spirit will help you. 
You see, the obligation to pray, the duty to pray is ours. But the power for our prayers comes from the Spirit. So then, how is it that the Spirit helps us? Well, in verse 26, we see that the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Intercession here refers to the Spirit's pleading on our behalf. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 16, that the Lord would give us another helper. That is an advocate. Some, some translations call him an advocate. Some translations call it a helper. They're one and the same thing. The idea is kind of like that of a lawyer. right? Someone who pleads your case. The Spirit helps us present our requests to God. We don't know for what we ought to pray. The Spirit helps us with that. You know, in verse 34 of the same chapter, if you look ahead just a moment, we see that the Lord Jesus Christ, who is seated at the right hand of God, is interceding for us. And here in this verse, we're being told that the Spirit intercedes for us. I want you to know that moment by moment, you have two divine intercessors. One in heaven and one in your own heart. And they are working together to present your case to God. So the Spirit then helps us, and he, in fact, teaches us how to pray as we ought. Now, how then does the Spirit make intercession on our behalf? Well, it says here in verse 26, with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, you may have noticed this is the third reference to groanings in this chapter 8, right? The whole creation groans. We ourselves groan. And now the Holy Spirit himself intercedes on our behalf with groanings. The phrase groanings then refers to the Spirit's communication to us of those things we need in order to pray as we ought. He is helping us to plead our case. The next phrase there cannot be uttered. So we have these groanings that cannot be uttered. They translate a single word, which simply means unspoken. Unspoken. So I think that the, the idea is not so much that there's not an ability to speak them, but rather that they just are inaudible. And they're inaudible because they are an inward work of the Spirit on your soul. These are not irrational or inscrutable babble. And they are actually not something we are saying or not saying for that matter. But instead they are the work of God the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Now this work consists mainly of three things. They have to do with our thoughts, our desires, and our ability. All right? So the thoughts means that the Spirit teaches us what kinds of the the objects of our prayer, what it is we need to ask for. He is the one who brings to us what Christ taught. He is the one who helps us to learn the things for which we need to be asking. 
But then he also works with respect to our desires, right? Our affections, the inclination of our will, helping us to want what God wants. See, he is conforming us to the will of God. And he works on our hearts to conform our hearts to the will of God. Therefore, when we experience a desire and we ask for help with that desire, we are beginning to pray according to the will of God. And then he helps us with respect to our ability. That is to say, he gives us the graces that we need to do all of this. Right? He gives us the grace we need to understand what God's will is. He gives us the grace we need to cry out to God in faith. He gives us the assurance that we need that God is our Father. All of these things that we need in order to pray aright, the Spirit works in us. Now, we saw above that the helps of the Spirit are not relieving us of the duty but rather him taking that burden and working along with us. It's not simply that the Spirit prays for us, you understand, but rather the Spirit empowers us to pray as we ought. Charles Hodge, a a good northern Presbyterian, said that the Holy Spirit is our paraclete or our advocate, and we are his clients. We know not how to plead our own cause, but the Spirit dictates to us what we ought to say. And I think that's what's being described here. Now, the Spirit working in us, interceding on our behalf, and producing in us the things we need to pray, leads to our confidence in prayer. And that's our third and final point. Verse 27 says, Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he, that is the Spirit, makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. It's not our main point this evening, but I just do want to point out to you that the Holy Spirit is a distinct person, right? The Trinity is three divine persons, one God, so you have the Father, The Son, and here is God, the Holy Spirit, who has his own mind. He expresses the mind, and the Father, or God, knows that mind. So the Spirit interceding, representing us, being our advocate, is a person who is, of course, one of the persons of the Trinity. Now then, we see the Spirit makes intercessions for us and we know from other scriptures that the secret to prayer is praying according to the will of God, right? For example, in 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, we read this. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him, that is in Christ, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Right? So John is saying, we know that God hears us. And because we ask according to his will, we know we are going to get what we asked for. Jesus said something similar in John 16. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, I will give you. 
And of course, being in my name, excuse me, he will give you. What are, but of course, asking in the Father's name, in Christ's name, means asking according to the will of God. So we know then the secret, as it were, of answered prayer is praying according to the will of God. Here's the problem. We saw earlier, we don't always know the will of God, do we? We are oftentimes ignorant of God's will in a particular instance. But notice this. The Spirit, in verse 27, intercedes according to the will of God. I want you to see the parallel between that last phrase, according to the will of God, and then up in verse 26, as we ought. As we ought and according to the will of God are the same thing. We don't know what to ask for according as we ought. We don't know what we should be asking for. Well, that corresponds to the will of God. You see, the Father and the Son and the Spirit always agree. They have the same will. And so the Spirit, in his work of intercession, is working always and only what is the will of God. He is working in you only things that are agreeable to God's will. So much so that we ourselves may be ignorant to God's will. But God is not ignorant of his own will. And it is God who is working that will in you, right? He's interceding according to the will of God. So, by the way, notice it says God who searches, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. He who searches the hearts is a roundabout way of saying God. He's re- Paul is reminding us that it is God who knows the human heart. And when he looks upon the hearts of his children, what does he see? He sees the Spirit's working of the will of God. He, he as it were, notices or recognizes the Holy Spirit. He sees the mind of the Spirit. And knows that. So God searching our hearts. Approves or sees the, the mind of God. And by the mind of the spirit we mean what he desires. Right? His intentions. His purposes. And that is because the spirit is interceding according to God's will. So God as it were is hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit in you. Notice that God doesn't answer your prayers according to your eloquence or even according to your knowledge. No, he answers them according to your faith, according to the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ, and according to the intercession of God the Holy Spirit who is working the will of God in your heart. So much so that there can even be a disconnect between what the Spirit is saying and what you or I say, right? We don't always discern the will of God perfectly, do we? But it's as if the Spirit cuts out that extra noise and tunes our hearts and tunes our prayers so that God only hears that which is according to his will. Let me see if I can illustrate this to you. You remember St. Augustine, the great bishop of northern Africa. And you remember that he grew up with a believing mother. Her name was Monica. And Monica 
so badly wanted for Augustine to be a Christian. And for many years, Augustine strayed and wandered and would not submit to the Lord. Augustine was offered the opportunity to go to Rome. Monica prayed earnestly that God would not let him go to Rome. And she reasoned that if he stayed there with her, that that would be the best chance to lead him to the Lord. And if he went away to Rome, to that pagan city, to all of those things, that was only going to lead him farther away from the Lord. As it turns out, Augustine went to Rome, and it was there that he was converted. Right? So do you see God was able to cut through all of that and see really what was the heart of, you know, if you could put the very best construction on Monica's prayer, what was it? The salvation of her son. She thought the best way for him to get saved was to stay by her. God knew the best way for him to get saved was to go to Rome. But what God answered was his will, that her son would be saved. And do you see how her prayer then, imperfect as it was, was actually instrumental in the salvation of her son? No doubt you have had prayers like that. Right? You have prayed for one thing, and God gives you something else. But do you know that in your prayer, God is actually not listening to or paying attention to the things that are contrary to his will? He is looking for, listening for the things that you are saying that are according to his will. The very things which your spirit himself is working in you. And so, I want to tell you, if you wait until your prayers are perfect... To pray, you will never pray, right? Don't wait for that, but pray. And the Spirit perfects your prayers as you pray. Now, I give one caution. You shouldn't pray for things that you know are sinful, right? Because that would be a sin, and you would want to ask God to do something that is contrary to his will. But oftentimes, you don't know what the will of God is. That's okay, Pray as best you can scripturally. Pray according to the desires of your heart, knowing that God is going to do according to his will. I also want you to think that prayer is, in fact, a part of our sanctification, isn't it? This whole section in in chapter 7 and 8 has been about after, you know, it's about our sanctification, our growing in Christ. And as we grow in Christ, as we become more sanctified, we become more familiar with how we ought to pray. It's still not perfect, but I need you to know that it is going to require effort. It's going to require growing in grace. But the more that you yield yourself to the Holy Spirit, and the more that you present your requests to God, and the more that you try to hone your prayers according to God's will the more that you yourself will be conformed to his will. And the more you're conformed to his will, the more you will see your prayers matching up with his desires. I also want to say, don't be discouraged by unanswered prayers, right? Apparently, maybe it seems to you God is not answering your prayers. But I want you to know that God may be simply not answering things according to your ignorance or your weaknesses. But maybe like with the case of Monica, God is in fact hearing your prayers. And what he's saying to you is, no child, I have something better. Right? I have something better. My will for you is perfect. And I will accomplish that. 
In Scripture, you know this, that prayer is often likened to incense, right? Like the the prayers of the saints are like incense that goes up to God, and it's a, a, a sweet savor to him. If you think back to the law, to the Old Testament, remember that the incense had specific rules concerning it. There were particular spices and things that needed to be combined in the incense, and they had to be mixed in the right mixture, the right proportion, and the incense, of course, had to be burned in a particular way. And you can get in trouble, in fact, for bringing something that was not correct, like as Nadab and Baihu found out, right? So the incense, and what I want you to notice, is that there were rules concerning it. It had to be a certain way. Well, when it comes to our prayers, we don't exactly know the right mixture. Right? We don't know all the spices as they ought to be in there, and we don't always offer them as they ought to be offered. But you know, God the Holy Spirit does. And God the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. That is to say, he takes our imperfect prayers, that mixture as it is, and mixes it right and presents it to God in a way that is pleasing to him. Let us pray. Father, that you hear us and answer us is amazing. Thank you, O God. We confess to you our weakness, but we ask that you would encourage us all the more to pray, knowing that you always hear us, and that it is you who is working in us, and that you are accomplishing your will, and that you always answer according to your will. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.